0: I'm Peter and I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world.
1: So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way.
0: So Melody Skye, thank you very much for coming on the show today.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Action woman extraordinary, mountain and ocean photographer, skier and freediver. Now, we've known you, Melody, for at least 20 years, probably rather more. And we watched you, admired you, living life on the edge. And I mean, truly on the edge. So how did you get to the edge in the first place? Which came first, the ocean or the mountain?
2: The ocean definitely came first. I never, I never skied as a child. I'm from Scotland, but never skied as a child. And uh, I was actually, I spent until 11 years old, I think it was, in Cornwall. So I was a beach girl. From the very beginning.
0: Well your parents, I think I'm right in saying were free spirits, weren't they?
2: Oh yeah, proper free spirits, proper hippies, hence the name Melody Sky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they really did the whole 70s, 60s, 70s scene quite well. And I was a mistake made in their uh, in their happy days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then you end up in Scotland.
2: Yeah. Well, actually we were in Cornwall for Uh, My dad was working on the oil rigs, so uh, we were in in Cornwall. He was doing two weeks on, two weeks off at the time. And his sports were surfing and skateboarding. So Cornwall was the ideal place. And then we finally moved back to Scotland simply because back then education and medical system wasn't that great in Cornwall. And my parents had a bit of worry about how we were going to grow up. And so we moved back to Scotland and now they really regret being in Scotland. (laughs) They love Scotland, but it's just the weather is just horrendous. But Scotland's a great place.
0: It all started with swimming. I think swimming was your first love.
2: Yeah, swimming. I used to compete in swimming from a very young age. And actually, I mean, I still swim now. I love swimming. I love the water. And I always say I'll probably retire at the sea and retire by the ocean and get all the, the crazy stuff out of my system now when I can and then go back to the ocean when I'm slightly older like next year.
1: But you ended up living near the ocean to start with, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I was very lucky in that I didn't get accepted into university the first time I applied um, because I applied to do, not many people know this, but I applied to do fashion design. I think you knew that, Felice, maybe. I was going to do fashion design and art and didn't get accepted to university. And so I took off to do a season in Cyprus straight from school. And just by chance ended up doing a paddy a dive course. And from there ended up working in a dive school as their underwater photographer. So it wasn't supposed to be that way, but that's what started it all.
0: How did you get into diving?
2: I think I've always been interested in the water, love the water. And whenever there's water, a river, the sea, I'm in it. I don't like sunbathing on the beach. I just like being in the ocean. And when I went to Cyprus to do my first season, I was actually working as a lifeguard, a rooftop swimming pool in a hotel by day. And by night, I was working as a glass collector illegally in a nightclub. <laughs> and during the the day, I think it was once a week, we used to have this diver, who's a very good friend of mine to this day. He was a skier as well, who used to come and do pool demos. And so I used to jump in the pool with him on Thursdays or whatever it was, and try out the scuba equipment. And I ended up doing a paddy dive course with him, a five-day open water dive course. And just by chance, the boss of the dive school was loading his camera in a really ridiculous way. And I said to him, would you like me to show you how to do that in an easier way? And he was really unhappy with me. It's like, you come here, you do a five day course and you think you know it all. And I'm not going to say what he said to me exactly, but he threw the camera at me and told me to go underwater and take the photos of the 12 clients who were going on a dive and see how easy it was. And he expected me to produce horrible photos. But then I went underwater. He came underwater with me. I took the photos. Then he took the camera off me. And that night he had them developed. And the next day when I went into the school, he just looked at me and said, so what are your plans for the rest of the summer?
1: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> and so that was it. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a job. He didn't have an opening. He didn't have any money to give me. He said if I wanted to take photos at the school, it would save him having to go in the water in every dive. And I could earn commission on the photographs I sold. And he would put me through all my dive courses up to dive master. So that's what I did that summer and became a professional diver and underwater photographer, which I continued for the next few years before skiing.
0: <laughs> well, we'll come on skiing in a minute. But while we're in the water, your great passion developed into free diving. Which for those who don't know is explain what free diving is.
2: Free diving is without air, without going down there with scuba equipment. It's holding your breath, breath holding underwater.
0: You take a deep breath and you go down and stay down for as long as you, you can. Yeah,
2: as long as, as possible long, you
0: can. And how long how long is that? How many minutes?
2: Um, I'm not actually uh that long because I don't spend that much time practicing, but I'm I was sort of on three, 45, five, four minutes. But that was with a camera and uh, I probably wouldn't do that now. But I was training before the pandemic with a free diver who was expecting me to get up to six, seven minutes.
1: Are there any advantages to free diving over normal diving?
2: Well, yeah, I think uh, the fish come closer to you or sharks, or whatever, come closer to you because they don't hear the, the air and the bubbles. You know, I did a project with a whale shark research program a few years back and the other advantage there was we kept spotting whale sharks from the surface and we were able to get in the water immediately and not have to faff around putting on scuba equipment and we'd be you know we'd spend time with the shark and then come back out the water and then we'd spot another and we're in immediately and we didn't have to look out for how much time we were spending breathing air or it was just a lot easier.
0: What's the world record for holding your breath?
2: Oh, God, I should know this, and I don't know what it is at the moment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Police, what do you think it is?
1: I've no idea. Six minutes, maybe?
0: Are we going over 10 minutes?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: Well, I've just looked it up. Where a competitor doesn't die, but just stays submerged underwater, the longest breath hold is an incredible 11 minutes and 54 seconds. And even more so, when 100% oxygen is breathed in prior to the attempt, the record is an astounding 24 minutes and 37 seconds.
1: You must have to have really amazing lungs to be able to do that.
2: Well, no, I don't think so much special lungs. So so I'm a, a free diver, but I'm not a professional freediver. So you could ask me really technical questions and yeah. I probably wouldn't have a clue. But I love being under the water and just having that freedom under the water with the camera. So I'm not going to really deep depths. I'm just following ocean life underwater and uh, with my camera.
0: Now, I know you got to the mountains through the water, so to speak. Explain that.
2: Oh, it was a very odd situation. I was living with a couple called JB and Claire. They'd been going to teen in the French Alps for nine years. She I think she was in the French ski team and he was just a very passionate skier. And they were both dive instructors. And I lived with them in the time I was in Cyprus. And they were my they were my instructors actually. They put me through all my courses. And I went out to experience. Their life in teen, I really wasn't interested in the cold. I wasn't interested in skiing. They tried to convince me to go there for three years, I think it was. And I said, I don't get why you people put pieces of wood on your feet and go down a mountain. I don't get it. (laughs) And in the cold, I'm from Scotland. I'm not interested in the cold. I still don't like the cold, by the way. But yeah, so basically I went out to surprise them in November time and I'd never seen snow like it. It was just unbelievable. I came from Scotland where you had wet, not deep, wet snow. And it was just incredible. Yeah, I went to Harry's Bar, which is where I ended up working for a while. And it turned out that they weren't there. And I was, they'd gone off to Canada (laughs) (laughs) for the first time in nine years or something. And a good friend of mine who owned Harry's Bar at the time, Jeremy, he said to me, if I was to stay for the season, he'd give me a job in his bar and I had no intention of staying for the season, but we really got on well. And I lied to him and said I would stay for the season just so I got the job. But I had a, I had actually had a job as a boom girl in Vietnam with a film production crew. And so, yeah, I took the job in Harry's bar and then I got on so well with him. I couldn't let him down. So I I never left <laughs> and actually I ended up with a job teaching the ice diving in teens so that season I went straight into scuba diving again because the 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 ice diving school there they heard that there was a, a young girl in town who was a scuba diver but the only problem was I had paddy I was a paddy diver and the French very much like with their ski system they like you to follow their system so they said to me if I could learn French and go through the French system or CMAS, then they would give me a job. So that's what I did. I did all my dive courses all over again from the beginning and learnt French as fast as possible and ended up with a job as the ice diver in teen. And what is ice diving like? It always always sounds
1: quite scary to me, being under the ice. Yeah. I mean, it is.
2: Everybody's seen a horror movie where you go through the ice and you can't find your way out. (laughs) It can be a bit like that. But we were very, very safety cautious. And we used to cut three holes in sort of a triangle, maybe I'd say it was probably 30, 40 metres apart from each other. And at the beginning of the season, we'd attach a line underneath to follow that triangle so that nobody would get lost And, uh, yeah, that was basically the route we stuck to. And there was only a couple of times I had to go with a journalist (laughs) as journalists (laughs) like to do things a bit more adventurous. (laughs) I'd have to go off a bit further and out of this loop, but but when it snowed, it was really, really dark because, you know, you had on my first season, I mean, it was a big season and the ice was, uh, I don't know, at least a meter, meter and a half thick with the snow on top. Yeah. And it was very, very dark, but it was really nice where the the light came through the the holes. It would just sort of shimmer in the water and you could just sort of see that in the distance. And yeah, it was nice. And occasionally I would, uh, if I had a client who was quite funny or seemed to want to enjoy themselves underwater and have some fun, I would inflate my dry suit, turn myself upside down and sort of walk upside down under the ice. (laughs) And then walk towards them, waddle towards them.
0: Then you got out of the lake and you discovered skiing.
2: Yeah. Actually, so the school that owned the dive center at the time, they were also a <laughs> ski school. And so do you know Evolution 2? They oh, they oh. had sort of all sorts of sports going on. And so I was obviously really into photography and I was a terrible, terrible ski photographer. <laughs> yeah, I used to take the odd ski photo, or whatever, of friends and and then I can't remember why, but I I think I watched my first ski movie there. I mean, I knew nothing about skiing. And the first movie I saw was a local ski film from three local guys. I watched it and said, that's what I want to do with my life. I want to make ski movies. I'd never even used a film camera before, but then I did. I got myself a camera and then Evolution 2 offered me a job filming of their, their groups, their ski groups. So yeah, my, my first seasons skiing ever and I'm up there making films. <laughs> when did you
1: actually get involved in photography for the first time?
2: Oh, I was four years old when I took my first photo, but nine I think it was nine years old when I got my first camera from my parents. They realized I had a passion. So yeah, nine years old. And every weekend my pocket money would go in developing photos. Do you remember um print and triple print? So yeah, I yeah. used to get this like, one photo, yeah. six by four, with two small <laughs> ones in the days when we used to write letters. So I used to get photos developed every weekend and then send small photos to my aunties or pen pals. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, from a very young age, that was what my pocket money went on. Somebody once said to me that they think I was the first female ski filmmaker ever to have my films and TV shows or films shown on a cinema screen. But I don't know. There may have been another woman before me who was out there. I'm sure there was, but I can't can't find any information on that. So, yeah, I was very young and it was many years, many, many years ago. Yes. Yeah, so who knows? <laughs> Could be. And then you've
0: gone on from from there to doing uh, filming stream skiing.
2: Yeah, so I actually decided when I was in teen and doing the ice diving and making the, the ski videos and so on, I sort of came to a crossroads and thought, if I want to do this professionally, maybe I have to go and study it. But then I also wanted to go to Australia. At that point, 26 years old was the cutoff point for the, the work visa, if you wanted to go and work and travel in Australia. And so basically, I flipped a coin on university or Australia and I got university. (laughs) 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 And so I did it. I looked for anywhere that would do a mixed degree of film and sports science because I wanted to study both film and sport. And so I found a university in London that did that. And yeah, so I was 26, a mature student when I started university and did a degree in film and sports science. But what was great about that was on the first year, of course, you had summer holidays. And so I took the summer off and worked in a dive school as a photographer in Barbados. And then on the second year, I discovered you could do an exchange placement. So I transferred to Melbourne for the second year and got Australia. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I went to university in Melbourne for that year. I learned more in Australia than I did in the UK, simply because it was a very practical degree in Australia. And so we were cutting and splicing old film and I had to act and direct and edit. And it was really being out on the field. And so Australia was amazing. You know, I managed to travel a lot as well. We had a chalet at Mount Buller. So in the winter, I was skiing. And in the summer, I was, of course, at the ocean. I made a short, terrible documentary on sharks and surfers. It was a great documentary, but the editing was horrendous. And then in the third year... I went back to London and did my dissertation on the influence of mass media, on the intrinsic culture of extreme sports. And so I basically studied freeride skiing for a year. And then the year after, uh, I ended up in Verbier making free ski ride. films.
0: <laughs> freeride skiing is, is very much a part of your life now. Can you explain freeride skiing for those who don't understand?
2: Well, free ride skiing, we're basically out in the backcountry skiing off off the piece, you know, no piece. And we're looking for, well, for me, it's really areas with amazing backdrops and good snow and safe conditions as well. Until about 12 years ago, I was mostly filming. So I made quite a lot of ski movies and filming free ride events and so on. And that was the majority of my work and then I really sort of started doing more photography than filming again so it's a bit bit like the uh the ocean and the mountains I kind of like you know for a couple of years I'll prefer one to the other and then I'll change and it's the same with filming and a f- photography right now I'm really deep into the photography side of things and next year I might be filming a lot again.
0: <laughs> Presumably um, you're a phenomenal skier as you would have to be to do what you do I- seen you ski and envied the way in which you ski for many, many years. But, uh, you you also have to do this with a huge amount of weight on your back, too.
2: Yes, yes, that's the worst thing. And um, people you know, often get asked the question, would you recommend this job to, to, to anyone else? No way. It's such hard work. I mean, I love it. But I think that's what people don't realize is that, you know, I have a 15, 20 kilo bag on my back and i'm having to to hike to the same places as uh, the athlete and I'm not an athlete. <laughs> I'm quite lazy. I'm not that lazy, but I am a little bit lazy. But yeah, it's really physical. And, you know, now I have wrist problems, elbow tendonitis, disc problems in my neck. <laughs> I can see your face, Felice. <laughs> well,
1: from carrying all that weight course, around, I'm not,
2: around. I'm not I,
1: surprised, yeah. yeah. I remember
0: once we were in Jackson Hole in, in Wyoming and we were off piece uh, in a remote area and we knew there was a movie being made somewhere in that area. But uh, we were climbing these ice steps that had been cut in the snow. But a very steep face. I heard somebody coming up behind me, and then he felt a bit of muttering. And said, <clears throat> do you mind if I go by? And I said no, and I got to one side. And this guy came by uh, almost at a run, and he must have been carrying 30 kilos, 40 kilos of stuff and you know, lenses and goodness knows what. And he just sort of shot away into the distance. I, I slowly made my way up. <laughs> phenomenal what did
1: you guys have to do. And yeah. then I presume at the end of the day, when everyone else gets to relax, you then have to edit. The rest of your job begins.
2: Yeah, that's what people also don't realise is that, you know, once I've done my full day on the mountain and a you know, full work day, then, you know, go home and have a little bit of dinner, or maybe do a bit of yoga or something. But then my my office hour starts, my office eight hours, you know, so I'm usually at my computer till midnight every day, unless, uh, you know, I have a dinner out or something. I'm rarely not working in the evenings. (laughs) So yeah, it's a a lot of work. It's not like I have weekends off or anything like that. You never have a set pattern. You just don't know what's going to be around the corner. So yeah, it's, it's busy.
1: But quite exciting because you don't know
2: what's around the corner. Yeah. And it's that variety. No, no, no. It's that. I mean, I, I love, I really, really love that. I don't know what's coming up next and it's never boring. And I also like that I can plan my own life. You can take on the jobs I want to and turn down the jobs I don't want to. And if I feel like a long lie, I can, I can take a long lie, even though, you know, I choose, I've chosen to be self-employed and work those long hours. I don't have to get up. if I don't have a job. I can sleep. <laughs> sleep as long as i like <laughs> so there, there's there's pros and cons to the whole thing
1: have you got any ongoing projects at the moment or future
2: projects i just finished a really fun project and actually it's it's really interesting because it's just what we've been talking about but there was a production company in a brand well production company from norway called process and a brand called klattermussen from sweden uh who had the idea to make a film about, about photographers. So basically, they they just took us to Senja, Norway, which is an incredible place. And we ski the most incredible scenery and mountains. And the film was looking at how we could be in the same location and how different our photos might turn out. So there was a Finnish photographer from Verbi, actually, who is a really good friend of mine, and a Swedish photographer as well. And we didn't have athletes with us. We were the athletes. So we were shooting each other, uh, which was quite comical. But so then we had to ski to have shots taken of us. We had to ski with our camera bags as well. Having to look elegant skiing with our big packs sometimes you can get away with it because you're not in front of the camera but we we actually had to try and ski very well in front of the camera as well but it was great it was really good and it was a nice project because people actually get to see in the film what we go through where we're actually doing the same ski tours we're um, climbing the same mountains and we're skiing the same snow but we have a big camera bag on her back.
0: The pandemic and the ban on travel must have hit you pretty hard.
2: Unfortunately, I had three amazing projects on uh, just before the pandemic hit. And one was a movie about a freediver who was about to break his his own world record. So that's why I was, I was training in Egypt for a month freediving with him. And I was about to go and, well, we, we'd already started this freediving movie. And then the other one was about esports and health. And the other one was we were going to be climbing two peaks over 5,000 metres in Armenia. Uh, and one of the skiers, Nat Segal, she's an Australian, amazing freeride skier. And the other one was a, a wildfire fighter, Jess Ungin. Yeah, that's what she does. She fights wildfires. But unfortunately, none of those projects, they all got cancelled because of the pandemic. Yeah, which was quite sad.
0: Well, I think we were all hit terribly hard work-wise by the pandemic, but for you, it just wiped it out.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was quite, quite hard because I was working on three projects over a year. We were raising the budget and quite often when you're working on a project like that, you don't get paid up front. It comes maybe in the the following year or when the project's released. So, you know, that was months, almost a year of income was just cancelled out from one day to the next. (laughs) Quite difficult that time.
1: You've also turned some of your photography into artwork. I've seen you've had exhibitions in the past. Yeah, yeah. They become
2: almost like paintings. Yes. Yeah. I actually really enjoy doing that. That kind of was born out of a a charity event. Uh, A friend of mine got married in Sri Lanka, and her mum runs an amazing charity looking after five villages in Sri Lanka. She's all on her own, but she brings food medication to them. And I went to visit. The, the slums that she was working in and so on. And I couldn't believe the work she was putting in and just on her own. And so when we got back to Verbier, my friend and I, actually it was her daughter, we, we decided to run a fundraiser in Verbier for her charity and I had all these beautiful images from the slums, you know, and could have done these incredible black and white photos of the people um, and also the elephants we went to see lots of elephants and then thought oh this is so done you know I have to come up with a different idea so that was when I started creating art out of my photography so I took quite a lot of the photos of elephants there was a mother and baby elephant a baby elephant on its own and an elephant side on an elephant front on and then I played around with patterns on yeah on my computer turned them into graphic art and it Became quite a popular product in Verbier, and now actually I did a, an Alpine series as well, and the W Hotel in Verbier, W Verbier, which is it was voted the world's best ski hotel. All their lifts are now my my graphic art, and they've got it in their suites and, as well and so on. Probably thanks to the pandemic, I've started working a lot with prints and artwork, and quite often people in Verbier will ask if I can maybe go and have a look at their chalet and give them an idea of what I think will work well on their walls. And it's been really nice. Sometimes I've looked at a wall and it's been a three meter long wall. And I've said, okay, let's do a Japanese scroll there with some gold leaf on it, on a photo, you know, and and drop some fabric. And so it's not just a photo print. You know, I like to come up with different ideas and be a bit creative and artistic with it. So I've worked with a couple of interior designers now, and that's a nice sideline.
1: Great. Sounds great. Thank you very much for talking to us. If people want to find out more, can you tell us what your website's called and your social media?
2: Yep. It's quite simple. My website is melodysky.com and my Instagram is photography. Fairly easy to find.
1: So people can have a look at your wonderful pictures. Can
2: people buy your work online? Yes, there's a print shop on my website as well, so people can buy work on there. But also they can contact me and I can completely customise or personalise something. Or Also, I can produce work that's not, not on the website.
1: I think you also offer photography courses, don't you, I saw on your website?
2: Yes, yes. Until now, I've done mostly private photography courses or weekend courses, but I'm act this summer I'm actually considering doing some bigger workshops with glaciologists and astronomers also there to help educate people on the photography we're doing but bit ah. deeper than the usual workshop. Because <laughs> you're fascinated
0: by the solar system, aren't you?
2: Yes, I love the stars. I think I have Star Wars to blame for that. And if there's a man with a last name Walker out there, I'm still looking for a husband with the last name Walker. So I could be Melody Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs>
0: On that note, I think we'll say goodbye. Lovely to talk to you.
2: Thank you so much. Okay, bye. Bye.
1: That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, actionpacktravel.com, or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails too, at peter at actionpacktravel.com Until next week, stay safe And I am you And you are me It's just it's a crazy storm